Hello and welcome to George's Poetry Workshop. I hope you've had a lovely week and that you've managed to get a lot of writing done, or at least one little piece of writing. (laughs) This week I am going to be doing things a little bit differently, and it's because someone asked me to talk about process a bit more, the process of writing a poem. But what I actually thought I would do is look at a close reading of a famous poem, specifically The Fish by Elizabeth Bishop, and think about how close readings can help us to become better writers. I'm going to read the poem through and then step by step kind of guide a close reading of specific points that I think are quite interesting and hopefully it will help and inspire you too. The fish. I caught a tremendous fish and held him beside the boat, half out of water, with my hook fast in a corner of his mouth. He didn't fight. He hadn't fought at all. He hung a grunting weight, battered and vulnerable and homely. Here and there, his brown skin hung in strips like ancient wallpaper and its pattern of darker brown was like wallpaper. Shapes like full-blown roses, stained and lost through age. He was speckled with barnacles, fine rosettes of lime, and infested with tiny white sea lice, and underneath, two or three rags of green weed hung down. While his gills were breathing in the terrible oxygen... The frightening gills, fresh and crisp with blood, that can cut so badly. I thought of the coarse white flesh packed in like feathers, the big bones and the little bones, the dramatic reds and blacks of his shiny entrails, and the pink swim bladder like a big peony. I looked into his eyes, which were far larger than mine, but shallower and yellowed, the irises backed and packed with tarnished tinfoil, seen through the lenses of old scratched icing glass. They shifted a little, but not to return my stare. It was more like the tipping of an object toward the light. I admired his sullen face, the mechanism of his jaw, and then I saw that from his lower lip, if you could call it a lip, grim, wet and weapon-like, hung five old pieces of fish line, or four and a wire leader with a swivel still attached, with all their five big hooks grown firmly in his mouth. A green line, frayed at the end where he broke it, two heavier lines, and a fine black thread still crimped from the stain and snap when it broke and he got away, like medals with their ribbons, frayed and wavering, a five-haired beard of wisdom trailing from his aching jaw. I stared and stared and victory filled up the little rented boat from the pool of bilge where oil had spread a rainbow around the rusted engine to the baler rusted orange, the sun-cracked thwarts, the oarlocks on their strings, the gunnels, until everything was rainbow, 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 and I let the fish go.
So this feels like a sort of step-by-step of an event. And this might be something interesting for you to think about in terms of your own writing. What event might you be able to kind of almost guide us through, guide your reader through? What's common in Elizabeth Bishop's work is that she uses a lot of simile. Now, one of my favourites is from The Sandpiper, which um, is the beach hisses like fat. There's something really amazing about that simile. I just, I feel it very intensely. And here we have some beautiful similes. So as I read, uh, keep, keep your eye out or ear out for those. Simile is when, a simile is when something is described like or as something else. So it's a, it's a comparison uh, to be like something. I will point a few out to, to emphasize those. So the first line of the poem is, I caught a tremendous fish. I think it's really interesting, the use of the word tremendous. This is a, an, a, an event of magnitude in the eyes of the speaker, but also that we see the size of the fish and a kind of magnificence about it. It also slows the pace down. Rather than, I caught a fish, I caught a tremendous fish. There's a moment, there's a breath before tremendous that you have to take because of the movement from the A to the T. I caught a tremendous fish and held him beside the boat, half out of water, with my hook fast in a corner of his mouth. So those are the first four lines and what I find interesting too here is the use of the personal pronoun, my hook fast in a corner of his mouth and to me this is the beginning of where we see a power dynamic between the speaker and the fish and the recognition of the speaker that they have power. This is my hook in your mouth, in the fish's mouth Um, and It's through violence that this power is established. The next two lines are interesting because they do something different with tenses. He didn't fight. He hadn't fought at all. We have the didn't fight as part of this event, but we also have a sort of flashback to the moment when he's actually um, has the hook placed into into his mouth and during the period before before the fish is brought onto the boat we understand that this fish hadn't hadn't fought so really interesting play with tense emphasizing the this interesting very interesting characteristic of the fish that it doesn't fight here we have this lovely use of alliteration. He hung a grunting weight, that uh, sound, hung and grunting, beautiful. He hung a grunting weight, battered and vulnerable and homely. Now, isn't that fascinating? Homely is quite an unexpected word. Battered and vulnerable and homely. There's a sense that of connection here of comfort, of something domesticated, almost perhaps 
by the amount of times that that this fish has been trapped by human beings as we come to learn. Here and there, his brown skin hung in strips like ancient wallpaper and its pattern of darker brown was like wallpaper. Shapes like full-blown roses, stained and lost through age. So the word ancient, ancient wallpaper, is interesting because ancient always points to ideas of something being quite wise, that it's that something has seen a lot and been through a lot. And we understand this, there's a kind of respect for the fish here in the use of the word ancient, ancient wallpaper. And its pattern of darker brown was like wallpaper. So again, we have this repetition of wallpaper being used. Both uh, as similes, we have the the idea of the brown skin like ancient wallpaper, and then the pattern and the shapes like wallpaper in these full-blown roses. So the repetition here is interesting because it emphasizes two different aspects of the fish and we get a sense of what the fish is like to 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 see and to touch at the same time the full-blown roses are interesting because they are stained and lost through age so these are the patterns on the fish like full-blown roses stained and lost through age. So we get the sense of a faded beauty here, that this fish is beautiful, but it, it, it is ancient. It has been through a lot and seen a lot. And the the beauty of the fish is, is, is fading. It's older. And also roses are often associated with love. So we might make that connection there and consider the use of that image. Is this a kind of, through this respect, is there a sense of love for the fish that the speaker has? We've got a lovely use of alliteration again, this sea sound. He was speckled with barnacles, fine rosettes of lime, and infested with tiny white sea lice, and underneath two or three Rags of green weed hung down. So we have this description of the fish highlighting this idea of rosettes of lime. Now, rosettes are kind of um, indicate a prize winning something. You get rosettes at horse shows, they look like large um, ribboned badges and it's about prize winning so interesting that these that the the word rosette has been used here to describe some of the difficulties that this fish has been through and again perhaps it is uh, linking to a respect for the fish while his gills were breathing in the terrible oxygen terrible again, feels quite interesting because, of course, we are now, we are looking at this through the fish's perspective now because the oxygen is terrible to the fish. It's harming the fish. And the speaker is recognising that 
while his gills were breathing in the terrible oxygen. The frightening gills, fresh and crisp with blood that can cut so badly. I thought of the coarse white flesh, packed in like feathers. The big bones and the little bones, the dramatic reds and blacks of his shiny entrails and the pink swim bladder, like a big peony. So we have an amazing use of listing here, picking out details of the fish, again emphasising this appreciation for the fish. And then we have another link to flowers. So we had the rose earlier and now we have the peony. So again, we are seeing the beauty in these dis- this description of the fish and there's also because of the 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 color that comes to mind this kind of pink or reddish color that is also reflected in both the rose and the peony and emphasizes i think a sense of how delicate the fish is that this is linking to organs of the fish and this flesh and the skin. I looked into his eyes, which were far larger than mine, but shallower and yellowed, the irises backed and packed with tarnished tinfoil, seen through the lenses of old scratched icing glass. So I find this description of the eyes interesting because often we say eyes are the windows to the soul, and we have here the fish's eyes were far larger than mine, but shallower. Now, I did think, is this saying something about the fish's soul? Or is it simply continuing to describe the fish and making comparisons between human beings and the fish? And we can't really make any assumptions about what the speaker thinks about or believes these eyes that, that these eyes are symbolic that there is any kind of difference in terms of soul that this is merely looking at the fish and describing them compared to humans and but also finding connections between them so bringing us closer to a feeling of admiration towards the fish in The Art of Description, Mark Doty also highlights that, this is a quote now, the wealth of detail keeps the fish from becoming a symbol and allows it to remain creaturely, its inscrutability intact, even as the poem offers us an interpretive act. So it feels like an interpretation, but this fish is is not um, symbolic, except I suppose to represent itself as a fish. Um, I looked. I didn't realize what the word inscrutable means. It it means that you can't um, analyze it. That it doesn't represent something. And so this is Doty's argument about the image of the fish in this poem, that it's the detail that keeps the fish from becoming symbolic that the fish is is just a fish and we appreciate the fish for being a fish. I'm going to stop saying the word fish so many times. <laughs> I think it was a really interesting observation. 
And I also looked up icing glass, which is a substance that you can get from dried swim bladders of fish. And it's what a lot of, um, this is what is used for um, creating beers and wines as well. It's also interesting because it made me think of a kind of scratched glass, like a looking glass, um, although that's a mirror, but maybe a magnifying glass actually made me think of that. And so it, it, it's, it almost creates this idea of, of looking through the lens of a magnifying glass, looking at that detail even further. They shifted a little, but not to return my stare. So there is there is a disconnection here from the fish. The fish is merely the fish. <laughs> Perhaps it's not connecting with the human being, and nor does does it have to, I suppose. It was more like the tipping of an object towards the light. I admired his sullen face, the mechanism of his jaw, and then I saw that from his lower lip, if you could call it a lip, grim, wet, and weapon-like, hung five old pieces of fish line, or four, and a wire leader with a swivel still attached, with all their five big hooks grown firmly in his mouth. So we work, Bishop here works down the face of the fish. So I admired his solemn face, the mechanism of his jaw, and then I saw that from the lower lip, his lower lip, if you could call it a lip, Elizabeth Bishop is known for doing these kind of uh, thought processes in the poems. You can you can hear her having a moment to go, if you could call it a lip. And we we hear this really interesting thought process, this negotiation that takes place in the uh, in observing something. So if you could call it a lip, grim, wet and weapon-like, hung five old pieces of fish line, or four, and a wire leader with a swivel still attached, with all their five big hooks grown firmly in his mouth. What's really interesting, I think, in terms of Bishop's writing process for this poem, during the actual experience of catching this fish, there were only three hooks in the fish's mouth. She caught only three hooks. Uh, She caught a fish with only three hooks. But in the poem, she writes that there's five. And she, this is a direct quote from her. She said, I think it improved the poem when I made that change. Sometimes a poem makes its own demands. I think that's fantastic, isn't it? Sometimes a poem makes its own demands. So we get a real insight into the process here by changing, just changing the amount of hooks from three to five. So there's an emphasis here on the battles that this fish has been through. A green line frayed at the end where he broke it two heavier lines and a fine black thread still crimped from the strain and snap when it broke and he got away. Like medals with their ribbons frayed and wavering, a five-haired beard of wisdom 
trailing from his aching jaw. So we have an emphasis here on the mind of the fish, this idea of the fish being wise and having the ability to escape, like medals with their ribbons frayed and wavering, another brilliant uh, simile, a five-haired beard of wisdom trailing from his aching jaw. So this fish feels like a war hero with this simile, that this fish has been through a lot, and the prize really is survival. Um, And also, really, um, they aren't medals, are they? They're they're injuries. These are are stuck inside the fish. So quite an interesting comparison to make there. So we then have a movement outwards towards the boat, I stared and stared, and victory filled up the little rented boat from the pool of bilge where oil had spread a rainbow around the rusted engine to the baler rusted orange, the sun cracked thwarts, the oarlocks on their strings. I want to pause there before we get right to the end, because I think the word victory here is fascinating, simply because it feels like the victory of the speaker which again is kind of frightening and it, and it links back to the beginning about this sense of violence. Um, there's an emphasis here on human victory, on human power, that they have managed, the speaker has managed to catch a fish and add to these kind of hooks within the fish's mouth. We then have this listing, this bringing out to the boat, this bringing this outwardness to kind of human mechanics. So we've had the mechanism of the, of his jaw thinking to the fish, but now we have the the mechanism that is the boat. I'll read that through again. I stared and stared and victory filled up the little rented boat from the pool of bilge where oil had spread a rainbow around the rusted engine to the baler rusted orange, the sun-cracked thwarts, the oarlocks on their strings, the gunnels, until everything was rainbow, 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 and I let the fish go. I like the rhyming coupler at the end, rainbow and go. That repetition too is amazing because you can say it in three different ways. Rainbow, rainbow, rainbow. This is a glorious moment. Rainbows with it for the sense of kind of victory, the connections with nature, the, interestingly, the oil as well is described as having a rainbow. The um, beauty of the moment, the fish, the beauty of the fish. So again, this is where you get that sense that nothing really here is too symbolic. It's actually a really, um, it's really an experience, a moment um, that we relive. And that's, I think, the most important thing to take away from this poem is how you don't have to be thinking about things as symbols. What you want to be considering when you write is how to create that an experience for your reader. Perhaps they will interpret it themselves and create something from it and find meaning in it. 
but that's not something you necessarily have to be thinking about. What you want to be offering is a really enriching experience. Okay, so we'll we'll stop there. I hope you enjoy that close reading. We're going to have time for some free writing now and then have the final prompt. So if you're not familiar with free writing, if this is your first podcast, welcome. I always set a free writing prompt which allows everyone to have a moment to just get everything off their chest, have a little write, spend five to seven minutes just writing whatever comes to mind with the prompt. And the prompt is boat, boat. Again, you never have to use the prompt. You can just write down things that you want to get out of your head before you begin writing your poems. So when you hear the bells, feel free to pause the podcast to start your free writing. Welcome back if you did have that break. I always take this opportunity to say that if you are enjoying the podcast and you can afford to, it would be amazing if you could donate to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash George's Poetry Workshop. It means that I can keep making the podcast and offer workshops to those who otherwise might not be able to afford them. So the podcast is funded by you, the listener, and you're also supporting others too through through your donation. So if you would buy me a coffee if we met, <laughs> please consider donating a few pounds a month to towards the the making of this. Thank you very much in advance for anything you can give. And if if you can't, that's absolutely fine. This is for you too. We're all helping each other. So the final prompt today is to choose an event to write about. Now, when I say an event, it really doesn't have to be a day-long thing or an hour-long thing even. If we think about Elizabeth Bishop's The Fish, what makes it really special is that actually this is seconds, this event. She's written a two and a half, two and a bit (laughs) page poem that takes place over seconds. We, We see the speaker has is looking at the fish and the boat and then puts the fish back in the water that's it but it is a hugely detailed and impactful piece of writing about something that lasts just a couple of seconds so i wonder if anything comes to mind for you to write about this and if you're not sure pick something from your day today or something from yesterday where there was a tiny interaction. It might be a moment with a stranger making eye contact. It might be an interaction with an animal as well. It might be a moment from the past where you were you went through an experience that was hugely frightening, for instance, but it only lasted a moment and has stayed with you. I'm going to leave that as the prompt today. I usually give a big list, but I I think it would be really interesting to really have that as a focus and to consider what small moment could you build into a really 
fascinating study through poetry. Okay, thank you very, very much for listening to Georgia's Poetry Workshop today. Thank you, of course, as always, to Portamento for the music. And if you'd like to share any work with me, you can find me on Twitter at GC the Writer or on Instagram also at GC the Writer. See you next time. <laughs>